Welcome to the Emotional Warrior Podcast. This program is dedicated to the exploration of men's emotional health and relationship concerns. I'm here to provide you with the insight you'll need to get started on a path of emotional growth and positive change. I welcome you to join me on this journey. Hello and welcome emotional warriors to the podcast today. I have with me David Greenwald and he is a certified health coach and founder of the Leanness Fitness University. Um, He's been doing this work with men and women since 1987 and is a master of this and has a tremendous amount of knowledge that um, I think will be really fun for us to dive into as far as we connect in this and that this is the new year. People are focusing on their body. This is a good time to do this work and, and, and educate yourself because everybody collectively is, is a little bit thinking about this and what's right for them to start. So I wanted to bring him on and share this information with you, but we're also going to be tying it in with something that he specifically works towards, which is the emotional fitness of his clients. And um, as everyone knows on, on this podcast, I, I really take seriously the mind-body connection, whether that is through somatization, which is the uh, the physical, emotional connection, like your body can actually uh, hold and store and be an expression of emotion. Uh, so can stress that he will be able to address that plus physical fitness itself and weight and how that that starts to affect us. So let's welcome David and I want him to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about how he got started in this and um, why this is his passion. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, really, really great to be here. So yeah, I'm excited to share. So um, yeah, David Greenwalt, and I've been doing this, you know, for a few decades now. I love it. I'm, I'm just, I say I'm more passionate today than I was yeah. when I was in my early 30s and doing it because I just have so much more experience and so much to share. And I feel so actually more hopeful now because of what I know, because of the experience and what I'm seeing with with, with clients in the real world than even when I was in my 30s and um, mm-hmm. just getting started with this. But I was a police officer in a past life. I was a city police officer. I was an Illinois state trooper. And nice. uh, thank you. During thank yeah, during that period, um, I had started another fitness company that I started in a little room in the house. And the goal of that fitness company was to just make enough money to pay for my own protein powder that I was taking because I was a bodybuilder and powerlifter and that kind of thing in my twenties mm. and thirties. And so I'm in my twenties at this point, and I started this company and. And anyway, uh, lo and behold, as big a surprise to me as it was anybody um, over a, you know about a five-year period, it grew into five million in revenue and forty-five employees, and and um, I was still a trooper. And wow. so, uh, so, so amazing. So, I know. If trust me, that's how I felt too. I was I I didn't have any real like business background or anybody around me that had been in business. But anyway, the internet had just come in. I had a lot of customers from this other fitness company that wasn't related to transformation. It was related mm-hmm. to supplements and. Um, and I don't sell any supplements now, but I'll tell that in a second. But I had, when email first came in, I had people asking me, you know, because they knew I had done bodybuilding. They knew I'd done powerlifting. They knew I had to get really lean for bodybuilding. I'd bulk up for powerlifting, get lean, bulk up, you know, all this stuff. Right. And they knew I had experience because I wrote about it. I wrote a, I wrote a newsletter every month and I would research um, supplements. I was doing a real evidence-based approach to all of this stuff and and I wrote about fitness and I wrote about supplements. And so my my clients knew that I had studied it quite a lot and I was really into it and had shared this with them anyway. So they would ask me on an email early mm-hmm. on, hey, Dave, real quick, it's not a problem at all. No big deal. Don't want to be a burden. But if you could just in real quick in this email, tell me everything I need to know to lose 30 pounds and keep it off forever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you just reply, you know, uh-huh. real quick. And uh and so I tried, you know, and I just realized real qu- very quickly that mm-hmm. uh, I was doing them a disservice. So that was a- around 90, 1998. I ended up writing uh, a comprehensive book covering nutrition, exercise, and emotional fitness. And that was about 500 pages. So I really wanted to bring in all the elements that I knew back then. Wow. The internet just came in, this amazing thing, two-way communication. Oh my gosh, we can have two-way communication. We, you know, for now we laugh. We're like, yeah, come on. It's, you know, it's been around. 
but back then it was new and um, I embraced it early on and we created a coaching program so that people could interact. We could have that two-way communication. We could look at their nutrition and their exercise and goal setting and talk to them and they could talk to us. And mm -hmm. so we, we did that in 1999 and uh, I can't say long story short, but what I can say is we've been virtually coaching people in this way and just improving the program, but been doing that since 1999. Right. And that's... Uh couple decades. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it really, the leanest, the book is called the lean, leanest yeah. lifestyle. It is. Yep. And, and I, I want to say that, cause I come from a personal training background, exercise science, taught yoga, and, and also love the nutrition area, like to talk about it, think about it, just you know, research it. But um, one of the things that I found in that world, which I really appreciate in talking to you before even this is, is that how much research you've done and how evidence-based approach you've taken, because there's so much information out there that's yeah. just trying to sell you something. Right. And it's so difficult with this, with the internet now, yes, it's a wonderful thing, but to be able to discern what is uh, correct information, what's not, because literally everything has a proponent and somebody right. that's contradicting it. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think that that's something that, I mean, even if you could share with us where you found certain areas where there's a lot of misinformation, yeah. <laughs> which is the code word for the day, right. but it's like, there, there is a lot in this, in this world, which I think why it's is so important. We find people that have done the work, not somebody who's a figurehead for, yeah. you know, or the, the, a model, you know, right. who knows? Right. So well, I'm a, yeah. I'm a vociferous consumer still of peer reviewed uh, literature every, you know, every, every week, every month. And I'm also still every single day uh, working with people in the trenches every day who are struggling to win this. So have been, will be, continue, plan on continuing to be. I don't want to compare myself to Jack Elaine. He's an icon and he's passed on now, but he was involved in fitness well into his, you know, 90, you oh, know, yeah. ish. And, and so I, I, if I can keep my brain sharp, that's how I see myself. I have no interest in retiring. I just want to, I just want to keep helping people and growing in this area. So, um, Right. So, so let, let's talk about that in some ways, because I think that that's kind of what we see is that we we saw health conscious, like people became more health conscious. People started yeah. to understand that what they're eating, smoking, drinking, you know, was affecting their body. And now people are understanding stress. But what are you seeing as a trend um, now that you've worked with people for so long, what they're struggling with? Well, let's see. Obesity right now is sitting at 43 percent of adults in the United States. That's incredible. It is. And we were at 15% in 1970. Wow. So we're, you know, two and a half times ish, you know, higher now than we were then. And it's projected to be 50% by 2030. Mm. So we're just going in the wrong direction. So what's, what's going on? What's the misinformation? Well, it, it really ranges, but here's the thing messaging from the, from a top down, you know, from the, the, mm -hmm. from government institutions to um, health related institutions yeah. and, and so forth that the messaging, uh, hasn't worked. I mean, everything, if you want to look at a food guide pyramid, you want to do a, my healthy plate, you want to do the latest, uh, thing that they've got going on. It's not that that information is bad necessarily in, or inherently bad, but, uh, the messaging of it isn't working. And the other thing is that, uh, you've got a few things going on with, we're looking at the top down. We've got a tremendous amount of money uh, that it infiltrates every single part of it from the big food producers that are, they, it's, it's very important to them that they have, you know, strong profits. They're very motivated, of course, by that. I would say that is the primary motivator, you know, uh, barring something that they would know inherently is, is harmful, but, uh, but, but profit is, is the biggest motivator. So there's money there. There's money at the government level. Uh, there's money in the American Academy of Dietetics. Mm -hmm. um, there's they're sponsored by big food. They're invested in big food. Big food has big lobbyists. Big lobbyists control uh, politicians and political agendas and laws that relate to it. And so with that being said, it, there's been this message for 50 some years of all things in moderation mm -hmm. and uh, that food is food, just as long as it's just all things in moderation. But the reality is that about 60 to 90% of what adults consume in the United States is ultra processed food, right? Okay. 60 to 90%. And that ultra processed food almost didn't exist 
70, 80 years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. there was a little bit, there might've been, you know, some Kellogg's products and a few things back then, but most of the stuff that we ate for hundreds of thousands of years up to maybe a hundred or so years ago was what we would now have to say today is real food, or as our great grandparents called it food, you know, yeah. so, um, so, there's a, so what's going on? Well, you've got just the, the, the nature of the system that we're all living in being, you know, a capitalistic, uh, you know, society mm -hmm. where profit, profit, profit. And I don't, I'm not saying that to say that's evil. That's bad. I'm just saying that I look at it like a monkey banana relationship. And so mm -hmm. we're all monkeys and we all respond to various bananas, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like, what motivates me? What motivates you? What motivates them? How will they respond in the way we want? Give them the right banana. And, mm -hmm. you know, and in, and in a lot of cases, if you follow the money, you're going to kind of see what's going on. So how has that, how has the money impacted what's going on? So I'm kind of hitting it right now mm -hmm. from the kind of the, the big right. down people. Mm -hmm. um, again, big food. Let's create food-like substances that are highly addictive because if they are, and we hit the bliss point, it's called the bliss point where you get this perfect combination of sugar, salt, fat, but beyond sugar, salt, and fat, you also have all these industrial additives for mouthfeel, taste, texture, right. all of these things that create this, make your eyes roll back in your head in, you know, like, oh my gosh, it's so good. I got to have that again. And that's creates repeat users. And that's good for big food. Right. From from the politicals uh, and from you know even the you know the Academy of Dietetics and so forth, um, you're looking at this all things in moderation because if big food can just remain a part of something that should be a part of everyone's life and there's no there's no distinction between it and other things as long as the nutrients are there, right? As long as the vitamins and minerals and fiber and things are in it, then supposedly it's fine. But they're not taking into consideration, although research is, they're not, but research is taking into consideration the incredible negative impact of ultra processed food. Yeah, which, which again, you know, it's, I think it, it I loved, I love meta analysis and seeing the, the psychosocial. I think that that's so key in people even understanding their own compulsions, their culture, and how it's influenced them, the society. Um, and how that really does drive them in some ways. We we don't have complete free will. Um, and, and somebody saying something like moderation when you're being given an addicted substance, substance yes. you wouldn't say moderation you know, to somebody who's chemically addicted to uh, heroin or cocaine where it's immediate that, that you have right. an addiction or, or cigarettes. It's, it's something where you really have to think about what you're saying to somebody. And if, if that's not gonna really work, then it's not going to work at all. The person can't yeah. even grab hold of that when they're under the influence. Right. Uh, and that, and that shows again, but I, I think that, but I seeing it all connecting is like, you know, it's not about saying what's bad or what's good capitalism right. or socialism. No, or all this. Right. It's really about what drives them is yes. for you to consume. Right. The more you consume, the more they make the money, the profit, the what. Sure. So it's it's this idea of keep eating, keep drinking, keep medicating, big pharma, big food. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Because we need you to just keep going. And and I don't feel like keep going, keep consuming. I don't really feel like any of these companies have our best interest in mind. And it is our responsibility. We are not a codependent. Yeah. Uh, group of people like they want us right. to think, you know, um, we're not victims of this. We can buy food that is still real. Yeah. If we educate ourselves and understand how this is all connecting and then make a decision, I think, based on this education. So that's why it's like so important not to just listen to what anyone is suggesting or saying, but really doing the research yourself even and and educating yourself so you can make a decision that gets you out of this loop yeah. where well maybe actually moderation is uh is a as a slight possibility i mean i still yeah. don't think playing I, with fire is good but i say um moderation in all things including moderation right <laughs> and so you know here's the thing is that for certain people in certain instances in certain situations at certain times a day in certain places with a certain ultra processed food because no one's addicted to chicken breast and broccoli yeah no right that one no. person 
and that's real food. And that's just an extreme example. And I'm not saying everybody needs to live on chicken breast and broccoli. Absolutely not. But no one's addicted to that. So we're not addicted to real food. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if someone is addicted or has a compulsion, a compulsive issue with it, that's going to be an ultra processed food. The, the distinction isn't made by dietetics and others in that regard. It's they, they've categorized things as maybe healthier, less healthy, uh, good or bad. I don't, um, yeah. I really, look I, I've even it. seen, I mean, I got to say it's like, they don't make that differentiation. And, and I, I have had a parent, uh, tell me that. Uh, their their youngest just gets to eat as much sugar as they want and Doritos and all this stuff because well they read that it doesn't matter what you eat when you're younger as long as like you stop at some point or you know it's and I'm I said that really strikes me as as, as ridiculous that you're forming habits when you're younger if your yeah. body can take it but you're still producing insulin you still have tooth rot you still. Are, are putting, so can you talk a little bit about that, especially if I think for parents out there, you know, what you put in your body does, um, does affect it at, at a very um, deep level. And I think the longer you do it over time, there's gotta be something that, that they, that, that it, at least they understand about children's bodies, about what it is that we're eating in front of our children, things like that. All of that matters. It, it does. So one of the factors that we live in an obesogenic environment, okay, obesogenic, just basically it's all the external and internal factors that contribute to behaviors that increase obesity. Okay. You think about it. So like I said, the messaging has been wrong. Advertising. When did when you, last time you ever saw uh, asparagus advertised? You know, you don't. It's, it's always <laughs> ultra processed food, right? And then mm-hmm. fast food restaurants, how many? Hundreds of thousands of them. They're, you just look out your door, you know, a few blocks away, you've got one. Most often, um, mm-hmm. convenience marts, twenty four seven access, you know, and, and so all of these factors are contributing. So, uh, as a part of mm-hmm. the uh, as a part of uh, the factors that are contributing to obesity, is we have parental or, gar- or guardian modeling, and right. so I have okay. you know now I have three grown kids. So, I'm, but I'm very empathetic to, and I have two grandkids. So we've got you know, son and daughter-in-law who got our little grandbabies and uh, they're just precious. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still, I'm kind of back in there, but in grandparent mode now. And uh, but it's, it's so, uh, you know, so, oh, so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun. As my, as my kids say, that is not the person who raised me. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so don't let them fool you. He did not, that is not the person that raised me. But um but anyway, it, it matters a lot in, in raising the kids. And of course, seeing the grandkids with, uh, you know, our son and daughter-in-law, they listen to us. Mm-hmm. Kids do listen, but they see us and it really matters a lot what we're doing. So the examples that we're doing, what they're seeing us do. And of course, what we're giving them as parents mm-hmm. means a great deal and is incredibly impactful to them more so than even what we say, because they see us and they, they, their little brains can at some point process that conflict and go, wait a minute, I hear you, but then I see this. And so it's just one thing. It's not to put a bunch of pressure on parents. They've got enough pressure. They've got enough craziness in their life with these little rugrats running around, mm-hmm. you know, um, destroying things. So, um, you know, um, but it, it really good insight because that's the thing is that I think some parents get very frustrated with why don't they do what I say, what's going on. I feel so out of control of my child. And, and then like, well, not knowing that what you show them and how you show up for yourself and your routines, yeah. your patterns, right. what's like, if you're taking care of your body, you're going to the gym, you're prioritizing health and eating and uh, together and you know doing all these things that that is translating into something, even if they're fighting you. Yes. You know, that's making, that's making mind is what I call it. The, the behavioral foundation is really instrumental to a child's healthy development, just telling a child or being really hard on them or judgmental or condemning, or all the things we say are, are hypocrite, you know, that right. all of those things create conflict right. for the child. So it's, it's almost better to kind of hold space for them to fight a little instead of you being the one that's fighting them so much. But I, I think we're also teaching them the same type of thing. If we're rewarding ourselves emotionally and we'll kind of move into this is like, you know, they see food as a reward. 
and how else they're not they're not seeing other things as rewards and it's so easy to get that rewards 24 hour junk at the convenience store or the fast food or do you want this thing because you're not feeling oh you're scared so let's go get a chocolate chip cookie or like wait a second why don't we sit with the feeling for a second wonder why they're scared <laughs> you know what what are we scared of we've like we've now um the you know I think because this has been so easy, where it's obviously we're very convenient creatures, we will uh, regress to the lowest common denominator or the easiest path. And this is this has caused a regression, I think, in mental and emotional health too. Um, that we're not having to figure anything out the hard way, or figure out how to sit with the feeling, or talk it through, or contain it. As parents, we can just feed it or we can just give them the entertainment thing or, you know, so I, I find this to be again, like conditioning them. They're not going to have much of a head start with this stuff when we're not considering it, but coming full circle, having empathy for the parent and people in general, what is this food doing? I mean, is, is this food affecting us on a hormonal or emotional psychological level? It is. It's it's affecting us at a genetic level. You were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, there's supposedly this message that someone put out there, that, you know, not supposedly, you said it, but I'm just saying, you know, from what you had said about the messaging where someone said, as long as they're young, whatever, the, their body will know how to process it and they're all good. If right. that's the case, then why do we have childhood diabetes off the chart? Hmm. I mean, childhood diabetes is, it used to just didn't, ex- almost didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. You don't get di- you don't get type two diabetes, adult onset diabetes. Used to, type two diabetes used to be called adult onset diabetes. They have to take away the adult now because child children have it, wow. and so you've got you've got these diseases that didn't happen until someone was maybe 40, 50, 60, 70 years old happening in children now, mm-hmm. and um, it's not for nothing. It's not for no reason. It's not that well. It's all good. It's not all good um, if they are over-consuming ultra-processed food, which I, I want to, I say it that way because I want to make sure that my messaging isn't 100% real food zealot, never eat anything that tastes good ever again, never eat anything that comes out of a package. That's not it. But what's happened is we, the pendulum has gone way too far the other way. We're sitting at 60 to 90% ultra-processed food is what uh, adults in the United States are consuming. 60 to 90% is ultra-processed food. Well, what's happened is the real food's gotten crowded out. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to just start flipping it slowly or quickly, whatever someone's comfortable with, but as fast as you can get to it in a reasonable way for you, the better. You're never going to look back in 50 years, depending on your age, you're not going to look back and go, gosh, what a awful decision that I brought in more real food into my life. Yeah, that's that's never going to happen. Never. So this is a total win. Yeah, and so, it, but the other way, um, it very much can be, it can impact everything from the mental, emotional, energy, um, mm-hmm. physical, uh, autoimmune issues, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver. I mean, it goes on and on. Cancers all go up with increased ultra-processed you know, food uh, mm-hmm. consumption. So it matters a lot. And that's in at the biggest levels from that top-down government health educator perspective, they aren't hitting it as hard as they should because the monkey banana relationship has too much money behind it mm-hmm. to say big food is not going to work for you, you know? And here's the thing. You're we talking about substance abuse, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, it really is that way where sometimes depending on the situation, you know, whatever the case may be, the place, the time, the person, whatever it is, sometimes right. zero is better than one. Not across mm-hmm. the board. And right. There's harm reduction, right? Models. Yeah, it this is personalized. Right. And maybe it's something they can have when they're at a restaurant, but they just can't have it in the house. Hey, absolutely. And and this is all this is all part of, you know, adapting to living in a in a way that that's 
I think intelligent, you know, where we're, we're not captive to it. Right. Otherwise, I think that again, we're, we're, we're not thinking for ourselves. We're really just going along with whatever's available. We're yeah. out. I mean, you, you have a story about, you know, I think, why don't you tell the story about um, what your wife asked you? Because I yeah. think that that's, this is the non-thinking story like when you're just out there doing the thing and yeah. you're you've been told it's healthy you're, you're going to subway yeah yeah so you know many years ago now um maybe 20 but somewhere in there um my wife says to me just she goes why are you depressed and i was like i don't know <laughs> but i also knew that she was right i knew what i felt i knew how, how i had been and it wasn't like all the time always blue always down always whatever it wasn't at that level but i just too many moments of ugh, you know felt the black cloud hanging over me you know yeah and i said i don't know i mean it wife good kids good house good money was fine had everything we needed didn't wasn't missing anything wasn't wasn't that it was like this inexplicable thing and i actually didn't fully realize it till later that mm -hmm. for me this eat whole wheat, have the low fat, you know, chicken flubber that you might get, you know, it's processed, get the, mm -hmm. you know, the sliced deli flubber, whatever that is, you know, that's processed. And then at the end, get the baked lace, you know, processed, and then have the diet Coke processed that even though the calories were low, and even though it kind of had the appropriate words on the front end for marketing, whole wheat, low fat, high in protein, you know, whatever, High, yeah. in, high in calcium, high, you know, all the, the buzzwords on the front of the label marketing stuff, it had all that stuff and bodybuilding background. I could get to five or 6% body fat eating that stuff. Now, wow. not all the time, not 24 seven, but mm -hmm. I could incorporate that in and still get in shape enough to have, you know, the six pack and the da, 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 da. So it didn't even stop me from getting lean. So in my head, I'm like, it works, right. except it wasn't working. And I didn't know what was going on. And it wasn't until... I went, what is going on that I, I went, well, it can't be that it can't be that is what's causing my mm -hmm. issue, you know? So I switched to real food and I just, you said wet. it can't be that, but then you're like intuitively your uh, yeah. body knows what it needs. Right. I love, I love that example because there is, there is an inner wisdom and he definitely attempts to heal that we are just overriding with our, yeah. with our cognitive I know. You know, illusions. Right? And I knew that I had worked with clients who were sensitive, who had mm -hmm. experienced other sensitivities to ultra processed food, maybe mentally, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, whatever. Mm. But for me, I had been fine, you know? And I went, what me? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to need to switch over to, you know, the, you know, real food. Anyway, I did it. And mm -hmm. what do you know, three, four five days later, clouds part, there's a blue sky up there. Mm -hmm. like, oh, come on. You just had a good day. You had a good sale. Your wife was nicer to you on a day. Something happened in life that was just good. And you're in a better mood because of whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay, well, let's just go back to the, you know, we'll call it the subway lifestyle. I'm just using that just metaphorically, you know? Yeah. Um, three, four days into it. Here it comes. I was like, you got to be kidding me. All right. Maybe I'm gluten intolerant. Maybe that's what it is. I'm going to get rid of gluten. You know, that's uh, a thing. Let's yeah. get rid of gluten. So I got rid of gluten, but kept processed stuff. All right. Guess what? <laughs> Bad, depressed, yeah. you know, and then I went, Oh, come on. All right. Let's, you know what? I seem to be sensitive to caramel color. Let's just get rid of caramel color. Cause that's a nasty ingredient. Let's do yeah. caramel color. So I got rid of all caramel color. And that was good for me, but I was still, uh, you know, no, it was like, okay, Dave, I did this like six times. I was like, I resisted it. I resisted it because I was like, really? You know, the answer was yes. yes. Really. And when I did it, and now that I, I'm 90% real food, I flipped the whole thing. Not that I was 90% processed before, but yeah, you know, being just what I do and stuff, but I'm at 90% real food and and here's the thing too, and this is just a personal story for me. I didn't know. And I mm -hmm. feel bad that I, ha I had the moods that I did. Not that I was a rage. I wasn't that. I was just yeah. had too many periods of down. You mm -hmm. know? 
to be fun, to be around a lot, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I feel bad that it, that it would have had any kind of an impact. And I'm, cause I didn't, I just didn't know. I mean, I was really clueless to that. It was it, but here's the thing. Now that I know, mm -hmm. I, I just, it's like, a, it's a, it's a no negotiation with myself. Right. Where I'm like, I can't, I won't, I could, but I won't do that. I won't have me not be my best mental, emotional self for those around me that I love, that I'm with, that I interact with. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course for myself. And with that being the case, that's another motivator, one of many, but another motivator for why, you know, I can, I recommend it to everybody, but also that uh, for me specifically, why you're going to find me eating 90% or so real food. Right. There's the, you, you regain, I think you heal a relationship with yourself with others, but, but really it is a relationship with your body and, and recognizing, wow, this is a very, this is a serious connection here. I mean, as we talk about, I think obesogenic environment, that's a very interesting um, term and, uh, and definitely a reality, but also uh, a, a depression stress. We, we also have incredible numbers of depression more than anything. And, and how that correlates to, I mean, your story, I think, if people are in such resistance to thinking that their mind is connected to their body, that these things that they're, they're, oh, I guess are approved to serve us are somehow, then they've, therefore it's good. And we're just trusting all of this, but people have come to this, whether it's through Crohn's depression, stress, cancer, that your diet has to change. Yeah. Anyone in a disease state or a disordered state has to do what first? First, not see a psychiatrist. I mean, not see a psychologist, not try to, you know, not try to just, oh, well, let's, let's just talk about it. No, actually they really have to go in at the physical level first. And the first thing they address is food. So it's like, they know, but don't know. And it's like, we're, we're saying we understand this, but you know, people aren't taking this as seriously when it comes to their mental health. And, and I know for a fact, it has direct correlation. And if you're not, and you want everything just to be resolved just by talking or expressing the feeling, but you want to leave your body out, yeah. there's going to be something that's very much missing from your work and your relationship with your body is, is integral to actually feeling like a whole person, real, embodied, healthy, vital, able to handle. And we're kind of going to move to emotional fitness a little bit, but you know, able to handle what it takes to navigate adulthood. This yeah. is not an easy, mm -mm. it's not an easy thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is it's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of challenges. There's yeah. suffering and there's, there's, we need to be able to show up for it. But in, like you said, in the state of depression, again, we can't really see past that fog. The yeah. fog is real. It's a real phenomenon. It's not like, oh, I'm putting the fog there. No. Or I'm putting the stress there. I'm putting the anger there. But if you're doing this all day, you're surviving. You're yeah. not able to really think about how to show up. So, I mean, it's it's not a, like a quick fix, but I definitely know this is a place to start. And and that's why I I, I want to know is like how have you how have you seen your your clients wake up to this reality? Because I'm sure you you have to present it at some point that yeah. I mean, the emotional part of this and how they've gotten so caught up is what's still perpetuating you know, the body composition problems or the obesity problem that they're trying to, because some people do come at it just for weight loss sure. and find out that it's emotional. I'm talking about people coming to me for the emotional stuff and saying, Hey, it's in your body. Yeah. So, well, you know, one of the things I, that I, you know, will commonly say is first of all, you know, our country is in a mental health crisis right now. Now we have, we are maybe still in it at the tail end. We've all gone through this pandemic that is just shaking us everything to its core. We're in a different society socially. Now we're in this and that and the next thing. And mm -hmm. I, and I get that those things all contribute. It's all contributory. And I get that just the, the world that we're living in. But the other mm -hmm. thing is that with ultra processed food being where it is now and seeing how powerful it is. And again, I'm an N of one, you know, in research an N of one, you know, I'm right. one person, I'm not a research study. I'm just for myself, but 
there are plenty of research studies where it isn't an N of one, it's tens or hundreds of thousands um, in the study where they show that those who consume the most ultra processed food have the lowest scores for depression. You know, uh, lowest scores, meaning depression is the worst, you know, or you can say highest scores for depression, whichever way you want to say it, but depression is the worst. Um, anxiety is the worst. Dementia is yes. the worst. Cognition's the worst. Met, you know, on and on and on. There's nothing positive in any research. When you look at meta-analyses, especially, there's nothing positive for the highest consumers of ultra-processed food. Nothing. Not one thing goes, well, they did better when. And so for the per what I say to people all the time is if, first of all, I stay in my lane and I don't try to be um, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I always tell people, it doesn't mean we can't talk, but once it gets to, sometimes gets to a certain point, I'm going to re refer them out and say, hey, I think it might be a good idea. You talk to someone, right. you know, start there. But Absolutely. what I say too is you are, you're going to handicap your psychologist, psychiatrist, physician, whoever, you're going to handicap them if you go in basically under the influence of ultra-processed food. They start trying to either talk therapy through it, which gets, it's a different person communicating because they're under the influence. Mm -hmm. So it's not as clear. And, um, and then what, if, if drugs are involved to try to help, you know, SSRIs or whatever, um, they're adding that on top of all the chemicals and everything going on from the industrial or from the ultra processed food. And it's really a mess for med mm -hmm. medicine to try to figure out. You're really handicapping the medical professionals if you don't come at it as clear as you can. And, um, and again, just as reasonably real food oriented as you can so that you can see like, what's my brain like? <laughs> what are my emotions like? What's my anxiety like? What's my depression like? What is everything I'm, I think I'm seeing like? when I'm not under the influence of ultra processed food. I mean, if you wake up in your morning as Lucky Charms and then lunch is fast food and then dinner is pizza and then there's a snack after or whatever, um, I, 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 would, I wouldn't put anything past, you know, that being the causative for mental, emotional, physical um, problems that are going on. It may not be, but I wouldn't say that it's not. And we won't know until you shift it. So mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I don't think I, a hundred percent. And I, th but I think that that's where, again, people come, come to the table and say, you know, that, I mean, a lot of times people are aware of conflicts that they're having in their lives beyond that. They're really right. aware of relational issues, professional issues where they want to be in their lives, but they're not bringing this in as, but look at what it is that you are what you eat. <laughs> Yeah. And, and there is something about, like you, you said, like the, there's words for like the turkey flubber, like if you're getting yeah, a processed right. foods, I mean, that, that, that isn't a human, yeah. right? There isn't anything, you know, protein for protein it's there and your body can turn protein into a carbohydrate yeah. if you're under certain stress. And there's a lot of sure. things that chemically that are happening that you don't understand or hormonally that are suppressing testosterone. So there's, I mean, now it's time to wake up. It is definitely time to start educating ourselves, but, but then what do we sit with? Like, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, I, I mean, I think also a phenomenon of, I think a lot of young adults and THC, it, that's a, I just want to be happy and free and get through this transition. And, you know, there's a part of that that hides them from the reality of adulthood level emotions, yeah. where you're really on your own to figure some of these things out or on your own and need to learn how to ask for help. Yeah. Um, but a lot of, a lot of, again, what are you not under influence? If you're in under influence, you're not really dealing with the full thing. And you really, you, it is making it more difficult for you, for anybody that you go to. Um, and starting with thinking about what you're putting in your body on every level yeah. and how you're treating it is, is all in some ways, whether we are conscious of it or not, has to be addressed to get to the place where we can really organize our experience and start to build up. I, I think people seem to be pretty frightened of their emotions in America where that's, they're like, Oh, a feeling. Oh my gosh. Can't have that feeling. Got to just be nice. Got to be okay. Got to like avoid that. Like, what's the big deal about feeling? Yeah. We're doing all this stuff to stuff it, to suppress it, to defend against it, to medicate it. Like it's a, 
it's a feeling, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's like a feeling like lactic acid in your muscles. You know, there's gotta be something there where we're, we've, we can't strengthen our, our ability to understand a feeling or to contain it or to process it or to use it as information, anything, anything that we would usually do um, for it to be a functional experience. We're not, if, if we're not working in that area. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's so true. You, know, you were talking a bit earlier about, you know, uh, you know, kids and things you can, you know, you can, you can back up to pre-pregnancy and I, and I, because of uh, epigenetics, we're yeah. seeing, I just read a study the other day on, and it was on uh, the anxiety inducing effects of aspartame. And wow. so again, not to single out a component, because it's not like, well, aspartame's the, aspartame's the thing. No, mm -hmm. it's just in my head, it's just ultra processed, period, mm -hmm. ultra processed. And so, and at some point I probably should give at least what I, my working definition of real food. So people are like, what's he talking about? I mean, I think we, we, you know, people will think they know, but maybe I should give that definition, but yeah. So aspartame they, in the study, this, because it goes back to like, when does it influence kids going back to your original, you know, the person that said to you, you know, they're fine as long as what they're finding. And this is, I'm only laughing because it's so ridiculous. It's like, oh my gosh, ridiculous. That's why it, it, it kind of made me that do that chuckle. So they found that this was a, yes, this was a mouse study, not a human study, but what they did is they looked at how much uh, aspartame they give the, the mice. How would that translate? Cause it doesn't translate equally to a human. Obviously mice can't mm -hmm. take nearly as much and so on and so on. They gave the equivalent of what would be two eight ounce diet sodas of aspartame to the mice per day. Anxiety went up, but something that they really found surprising. They didn't, they, they weren't, didn't know what was going to happen is that it was actually heritable, this anxiety from the paternal side of interesting. So from, so when the right. father, the male consumed aspartame at X amount for a certain amount of time and, and experienced this anxiety, his genes changed. Those genes were passed on and the offspring ended up with this difference in genes that made them more susceptible to anxiety, they'd never consumed aspartame in their life. That's incredible. So this stuff is, it just, as the more research comes out and you start looking at all of the ways that this, mm -hmm. because I used to say this, I've actually had to change my language uh, when I, uh, regarding genes. Because one of the things I would say is, gee, why are we, 43% obese today, and we were only 15% obese in 1970. Did our genes change in 50 years? Yeah. Well, my normal response up until just a little bit ago would have been, no, our genes, have, it takes a long time for our genes to change, to, for us to evolutionarily change and have our genes change. I don't believe that. I mean, <laughs> maybe broadly, but mm -hmm. at, at, in certain instances, they can change quickly. And we're finding that through research yeah. like this, where you're like, the father, the male passed it on to the offspring. And that was just from X consumption for X period of time. It changed his genes that got passed on. It made the, the offspring more susceptible. That's happening to our kids now. That's <laughs> happened to our kids. They're being born some because of ultra processed food and obesity mm -hmm. and it's resulting obesity, I should say. Um, some things are being passed on to kids who never did anything at all. Yeah. I mean, I would, it would be so interesting to take a study like that into, into humans because the evidence is already in the kids. Like you said, the evidence is already there in the increase yes. in obesity, right. but young children needing therapy or to deal with like extreme anxiety, people are making excuses for it but the amount of homework they have or the pressures they have, I mean, but they also have so much done for them, given to them, uh, you know, support everywhere, but still there's this uptick in really extreme levels of anxiety that can't really be explained, but yeah. why this, oh, this child's just really anxious and takes everything super seriously. Well, why yeah. when, you know, the, 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 the situation seems pretty supportive and pretty cool. I mean, like, I don't even see any trauma here. Right. <laughs> I right. see nothing except for the child is predisposed to some high intense level of anxiety. And that is a, so much more yeah. 
yes. prevalent than it yes. has, I've, we've ever seen before. So it makes, I mean, Gen X is a, is a Diet Coke <laughs> group yeah. of parents, right. you know, for sure. But I mean, this isn't to me, it's not necessarily, you know, armchair interpreting. I think what it is, is really trying to make sense yeah. of our experience without making excuses. Right. And, and really using science to understand like what's going on, because it's not in these companies' interests to, no. like, they're not going to do the research. I mean, I don't think Camel Cigarettes did the research or whatever. It's just at some point that was that was too much evidence to the contrary, yeah. to just continue to support that this is an okay thing just to advertise and promote. So maybe food is going to get there, but I think in so many ways that the damage that's being done emotionally is, is a real, is a, is a real um, issue. And when, so when somebody comes to you, I wonder how do you address this? I mean, I know not in, out of your scope, but sure. like, is there any sort of practices that you help them start to yeah. consider around these changes and and what they need to do? Yeah, I you know it's it's education and it's ed education that where the monkey banana relationship for me is I want my clients to succeed. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want them to succeed. I want them to win. That is a reward for me in and of itself. Okay, compensation secondary. I know it may sound weird, but that's very secondary to I want them to win. So mm -hmm. the information I'm going to give them isn't tied to, I hope they buy my lucky charms. You know, it's like, I want them to move mm -hmm. in a direction that research is supporting that in the real world, boots on the ground, decades of doing this, that I'm seeing in real people. And of course, myself and family, whoever, where you're impacted mentally, physically, and everything else um, from, from changing, you know, you know, what we eat. So I, we're going to educate in the right way. What is real food? So my adaptation to real food comes from a professor who developed the Nova food classification system out of Brazil, okay. Nova food classification system. Okay. And I, there are a number of food classification systems. Uh, one of the most recent U S food classification systems, just as an aside, put lucky charms as being healthier than uh, red meat. So anyway, um, it, you know, <laughs> we've got a ways to go here. So um, and again, they didn't distinguish whether it was grass fed or anything else, just period, you know, lucky charms would have a better nutrient score overall. Okay. So that that's good. I'm going to call that ridiculous. But anyway, mm -hmm. my adaptation of the Nova food classification system has real food being this real food is whole or minimally processed edible parts of plant and animal. Right. Okay. Where, and here's the important part. If anything's been added to it, it's whole or minimally processed ingredients, commonly found in kitchens. So I don't care if it's got 50 ingredients. Don't care. It could have 47 different spices. Great. Mm -hmm. Fine with me. So it's not about, you hear sometimes if it's got more than five ingredients, don't eat it. You know, just as a, uh, you know, a loose definition of what's, what's good, you know. No, that's actually, that's, those are good for people in general, like general little things to kind of keep in their mind right. looking at. So it's like, I don't care if it's got 50 ingredients. I don't care. Someone will say, don't eat it if you can't pronounce it. Well, quinoa is kind of a weird word. You know? <laughs> and so I don't know, you know, and I don't blame anybody if they can't pronounce quinoa when they first see it. But so it does, but that doesn't mean that it's not okay. So I don't care if you can pronounce it. I care with, with respect to it being real food. If it's whole or minimally processed edible parts of plant and animal, where if anything's been added, it's only whole or minimally processed ingredients commonly found in kitchens. What's commonly found in kitchens? Spices, mm -hmm. vinegar, oils. oils. Yeah. Right. And then you can get into some other things. Now, does it mean that flowers that are commonly found in kitchens are all perfectly fine? Um, if you're making it at home, you're probably going to do better, but it's still pretty processed. You know, that flour is especially the modern flour. You can find flowers that aren't as processed, unbromated and so forth, but um, you got to look for them. And mm -hmm. then, you know, added sugars and that kind of stuff. But that's where we start getting the nuance and splitting hairs. Here's the thing is that 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 working definition, you know, fits really well. And so mm -hmm. someone comes and they've got these things going on. Well, we want to meet them where they are. If this is someone who is eating what I just described, you know, Lucky Charms for breakfast, the fast food and then blah, blah, blah. And it's all ultra processed. What we're not going to do is say, and now you need to eat like Dave Greenwald starting tomorrow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Hurry up, you know, 
No. Um, what we're going to do is educate on the things you and I are talking about here and then just, you know, take that times 10 as far as making sure they know this isn't all things in moderation has gotten us here mm-hmm. because it doesn't consider whether it's a substance of abuse, which right. it very well could be not for everybody mm-hmm. and not in every situation and not, you know, but it could be for you in this and this and this, you add these other factors. Yeah. So we, we will start to explore where are the areas that you are falling down? Mm-hmm. Where are the areas where once I've taught you the nutrition and the, let's say the movement activity exercise components, those are your kind of your two energy in energy out, right? The mechanical things. Those right. are the things that are calories in calories out, eat less exercise more. Right. So that once we've got that really covered and you really know like, Oh, okay. It's food. Isn't food. There's real food and there's Okay. And then you start moving in these other areas. Um, we've got 15 nutrition principles all in. That's it. It's only okay. 15. So it takes a little bit and you get in there and it doesn't take long for them to, to see what's going on. But let's say they've got that. Okay. Well, then we are going to look at if they have a strong why, you know, mm-hmm. what's driving their willpower, because it's the why power that drives the willpower. So if they've got a strong why driving them, we'll help, we help them develop that. Then we are going to look at what specific instances are we struggling with? Because the thing is, people don't struggle all the time in every single way. When they struggle, if they're struggling to maintain the good behaviors that are going to get mm-hmm. us moving in the direction we want to move, it's mm-hmm. a certain situation, time of day, place, and thing that repetitively, you can just put out maybe there's five or six of these little devils out there for, mm-hmm. for any person, maybe a, little, a few more, whatever, maybe a few less but it isn't 50 different things they fall down with. Yeah. It's like five or six. And it's always, oh, it's right when I get home from work or it's every time I have a a little argument with a spouse, you Mm -hmm. know, I go catastrophic. It's the end of my life. I'm never, you know, it's, I'm going to live, you know, I'm going to be homeless living under a bridge. I don't know why you just had an argument with your spouse. It's going to be okay. It's not, you know, you know, bring it down, you know, And so we're going to address that and kind of see what is that and all right. And how can we better manage that? Mm -hmm. So that's where the emotional fitness comes in because to me, the way we approach it is emotional fitness goal is, is at least a, you know, a couple of facets. One, have people feeling authentically good more often, right? Instead of regretfully good, that regretfully good stuff is it felt good in the moment but then I regretted it big time later. Yeah. You know, retail therapy, $500 spent. Oh, I didn't have $500. Now I've got 500 on my credit card. Ugh. felt good yeah. when I did it, you know, but now yeah. I regret it. Yeah. Or programs where they aren't addressing this underlying layer. I will say there's a lot of self-help out there to yeah. spend this money and I, or, you know, you can do this, you can do that, but they're not addressing the emotional layer that, that again, where is your, your big, why your, your, why has the power to will? Yeah. And and I, I think that people don't recognize that, you know, that whatever that that is a pattern and it can be a tract. People love to, one of the defenses is just become completely like excuse oriented. Like every time is brand new. Like that's not very integrated. That's not, maybe this is a different circumstance, but it definitely is exactly like this last one. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of times people don't recognize that, you know, people understand stress eating, but they don't hear what they're saying to themselves or anger eating or emotional yeah. eating. They don't hear what they're saying to themselves to grab that cookie, to grab that thing. They're not hearing that, oh, you know, I can't, I'm not going to make it through this without this thing. Right. I, I need this to emotionally calm me down from uh, the sacrifice I'm making right now or the, the, the emotion I'm having to deal with in the moment. And it's, um, it, it's so true. And, you know, you just, re- you reminded me, I, I just saw this study um, two weeks ago and, mm. and you're just talking about, you know, you know, we'll call it comfort eating, yeah. you know, just because everybody knows what that, that is when we eat comfort eating, we, yeah, we're not doing chicken breast and broccoli. Okay. So comfort eating is going to be ultra processed food of some kind, almost hundred percent of the time. Okay. These researchers with humans looked at all right, let's stress them. Now, I'm not saying it's identical to life stress, but they stressed them in the lab. You know, they stressed them. They put them under stress and they were able to measure it with cortisol and heart rate and blood pressure and all these things. Yeah. And then they said, 
comfort. You can have comfort foods, which is ultra processed junk. And it was, it was like cookies and chips or whatever it was. Yeah. And they, they gave a group comfort. All right. And then they measured over the, over an hour and other, and other time periods, but let's just say the hour for this purpose. Uh, how did they recover from the stress? How did they recover from that stressful event? Uh, all measurable. And so they looked at that group and then they looked at a group that ate like baby carrots and snap peas and cucumbers mm-hmm. as an example, or strawberries. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they still ate, but they yeah. ate real food. And then they looked at a group and did nothing. They just had to sit with it. Okay. They didn't get to eat. You know, yeah. they just, they stressed them and they just made them sit with it and they didn't give them cognitive behavioral therapy strategies. They just had to sit with it. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, they looked at it and statistically there was no difference between the groups in recovery an hour later, no difference at all. So the group that did comfort eating mm-hmm. felt was no measurable, had no measurable benefit an hour after the incident compared to the group that ate real food or even compared to the group that ate nothing. Right. So it's like, here's the thing we get. So, uh, you know, I, um, it's not me, but I've, I've referred to it as a conditioned automated response, right? Yeah, yes. Right. And it's like, it's like this, it's like that happens. And it's like a light switch. It's like, yeah. this is what I do. That happens. I do this, that, I mean, it's not even a, there's not even a half a second between the thing and the thing, the stimulus and the responses we would say. Right. Right. And so um, what we do by working a lot. I, 80, 90% of my coaching, Bianca, mm-hmm. is not in the nutrition exercise space. It's like, mm-hmm. I can get that out of the way in an hour. Right. You know, then For the sure. rest of the, the days and weeks and however long I'm working with a client is all on compulsive eating to see if there is. And if so, how do we address that, you know, mm-hmm. appropriately? And then emotional fitness. And of course the why, but emotional fitness so that we can help the person grow and get stronger emotionally so that they're better life managers so that when occurs, there's a space, just a small space where they can choose a different response. You know, one of my original mentors, and I'm I'm sure it's not new, but when I first heard it, I was like, that was, it was like 25 years ago. His name was Zig Ziglar and he was a personal growth guy. I, I love Zig. So He's passed on now, but he used to tell the story about, you know, when, when something is working for us, we respond to it, but we think of something that's not working for us as having a reaction to it. Hmm. So um, when it comes to medicine is kind of how he was drawing that, you know, analogy, you know, so we want to be able to respond without overreacting Mm -hmm. and we're better able to do that when we, I'll just use a phrase I use when we grow and grow in this emotional fitness space to where we're more like a lifestyle ninja. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think I it's like whatever, whatever comes my way, I've got to be able to say, I'm going to pull that strategy because I need that one right now, but yeah. I need this one for the different other strategy. And I need this one. It's like, you're just, you're doing all these martial arts moves in life mm-hmm. where you've got the skills and, um, and if I'm being honest, I drew, I drew my inspiration for that from a client of mine who was a, uh, plastic surgeon. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and she had told me one time, um, that when she was new and just come out of residency, uh, she was given a, a trauma patient that had been involved in a bad accident. So there was some, a lot of disfigurement and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And I'm just blown away by what people can do. I, I really am. I just, I look, I'm in awe at what mm-hmm. people can do that I wouldn't have the, know the first thing, you know, about how to do. Mm-hmm. And so I said to her, I said, how did you know? I mean, this person was a mess, you yeah. know, and now you're the one, you know, you've got to try to help them, you know, whatever. I said, how did you even know where to start? Mm-hmm. And she said, it was all the principles that we were taught. He goes, she goes, yes, we were shown. And then we had to do hands-on do this, suture this, cut this, tuck this, move this, you know, all the mm-hmm. things that you have to do, they, that a surgeon has to do in that field. Right. But they, she wasn't taught specifically that case. She had to be able to use all of the principles and tools and strategies and education in all of its different forms and put it all together so that she could help this patient and, and make it work. 
And I see emotional fitness a little bit like that, where it's like, there's so many different situations that any of us are going to be faced with. We, I can't say, and here in chapter 16 on page 48, you know, is when this exact thing happens, this is, I got it right here. This is what you do. So we have to have kind of principles and we have to have the foundation Mm -hmm. so that we can bring the emotional temperature down so that mm-hmm. we can decatastrophize, reduce those catastrophics. 100%. We can reframe, we can change perspective a little easier mm-hmm. and kind of breathe and go, we're going to be okay. Yeah. And you make, know? and make that choice that okay yeah. is where you want to be. Like he, Zig Ziglar said, that response is when, you know, that's when things are good. Yeah. You know, we got to get back to that place, but I, that's actually something similar to what I, I called an emotional warrior because lifestyle ninja, I was thinking yeah. about emotional ninja too, because I think about, you know, codependency and the pressures that, that, um, that emotional mindset of living from the outside in always about the other, always about pleasing and satisfying and caring and taking care of other people and other people's feelings and always putting yourself second you know, how that ends up actually being like, like the surgeon that knows all the principles, you know, that you understand emotions inside and out, to be honest. I mean, you are really proficient at at curing everybody else's stuff, helping every clean up everybody else's mess, fixing them. But can you do it for yourself? Right. Can you, can you do that? And then that's where I think you become like, you know, like you have these skills now we just, we do need to, though, I don't think that it's, it's taught to us in any way, shape or form or act. actually how, I know this is like a little bit of a stretch, but how to think for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We learn to think for other, think about others in the sympathetic way or survive our situation. If it's traumatic, I, I understand that we're using our minds in a specific way, but that whole idea of understanding processes and educating ourselves and using those process processes to be adaptive and responsive in a situation. That's a skill set that I don't really think, I mean, that's what I call thinking. And I don't really, I don't know where I would have learned that if I did not, um, you know, I, I, I was raised in an environment that it was a little bit more along those lines already, but I, I really had to learn how to think um, through all of my education, that was part of becoming a a psychoanalyst. I mean, you, you understand the mind and the processes of it, but, um, how do you apply it? That's not something that we regurgitate. That's not a memorized, this isn't memorized. This is from life experience, um, along with academic study and application in working with people. So, you know, we're, we're both coming from this place where it's, it's, or I think what, I mean, at least I'll speak for myself is I, I really want people to understand that when you are working on bettering yourself, we can think about our lives in compartments, whether that's financial, I mean, a professional or in our family and our relationships or, but it's a holistic experience and humans need wholeness, <laughs> whole yeah. food, whole experiences um, wholly recognize that they are not just parts that act and so, you know, robotically and so habitually, um, without thinking about it, that's going to lead to disaster for us. Um, and a lot of, yeah, a lot of pain that we could avoid with, and I, I'm such a proponent. I think that's why our conversation lasts as long as it did of education, because yes. I'm learning as I'm listening to you. And thinking and wanting to, you know, have this conversation because I'm still so curious about what what all of this is, means and why instead of it being a drop in the bucket, I think education can really affect people on a larger scale instead of us doing one on one. So absolutely. And you know the thing is, is that it's this isn't emotional fitness that is, and all of this isn't like eye color where we can't change it. Mm-hmm. We really can grow it. It is like a muscle. And if we totally. learn. Uh, the elements of it. And we say, oh, so focus and gratitude and control and compassion and sleep. Sleep to me is a part of emotional fitness because let's face it, you give me several days in a row of five hours or less sleep and I'm in, I'm under a laundry basket sucking my thumb. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. 
know, <laughs> with you. you know. But I mean, um, all the factors that go into, you know, helping us to better manage this craziness that is life and is going to be life, mm-hmm. where we can take it a little bit more in stride, where we can bring the temperature down, we can, um, again, just respond more to things that happen and create that just enough space where it changes from I must eat or whatever the thing is that you're doing, drink, whatever it is to wait a minute, wait a minute, just breathe a minute, you know, Mm -hmm. literally count to 10 and say, and sometimes that's enough. Yeah. I mean, sometimes in that moment, that's enough where you just needed 10 seconds. So you just needed a minute. You just needed something. And then you find that you you end up, of course, without regret an hour later, Mm -hmm. you're glad you did it. Uh, but getting to that place is, like you said, it's not it's not a magic quick fix. Each person has to be addressed individually. You got to see where they're at, see what's going on. But I, I, I'm I want to make sure that people do know that there's. I have great hope from coming at it mm-hmm. from this more broad, holistic view because yeah, we're not just saying personal responsibility, eat less, exercise more. That's, That's not going to work. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And you're, where, where's your evidence that it doesn't work? 43% obese. Mm-hmm. That's been the message. Personal responsibility. So here's the thing too, is that since we can't rely on top down, you know, government, right. big institutions, we've got to go bottom up. And here's the thing is that as people, and they are little podcasts, little people like me, little whatever, and then bigger ones that are bigger influencers and have, you know, million followers and 10 million followers, whatever they've got. Some mm-hmm. messaging is getting out there about this, not all foods the same. Ultra-processed food is nasty, uh, mm-hmm. especially cumulatively. I'm not saying somebody has a has a one-off, you know, and, and it's it's 10% of their intake, the body can't handle it, and it's going to be, I'm not saying that. Right. But when it's 90% of your intake, it's nasty, and it's going to be nasty. And it's this is not something that we as a society are going to be able to sustain, you know? No, no, without... Right. Not without serious, yes, a consequence. And and now I think people are recognizing, and again, there's always consequence. There's emotional consequence to not communicating. There's physical consequence to not taking care of your body. There, there is a consequence that is much worse than uh, the the what you were trying to avoid in doing the hard work or making a bit of a mess there or changing your ways and having to deal with it. It's like for the short term uh, difficulty, we get long-term gains. And, and instead they don't go into the short-term difficulty of communicating what they feel with their partner or say, you know, showing up for their kids in a different way or you know, whatever the hard thing is, then it makes a huge mess down yeah. the road. So I'm like, what, what do you weather? clean up small mess, big mess. And this is, this is our, you know, in some ways, yes, this is our body. This is our territory. It's ours. It's our mind. Um, It's, it's our, it is our responsibility to educate ourselves. The information is there. So I'm, um, I mean, I'm really excited to to have met you and to have had this conversation. I think that how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to start this journey? Yeah, absolutely. It's I'll just keep it real simple. You know, leanness lifestyle is kind of a mouthful. So we just have the website as lluniversity.com. Got it. And that'd be the best place. Any social links, any, any, if they, somebody needs to get a hold of us, then they can, they can do it through there. Through there. Um, okay. That'd, that'd be the best place. Right. And I'll put it in the, the show notes too, or in the description as well. Sure. But thank you so much. And I, you know, we can maybe have a part two. Um, yeah. I'm up totally on- up for it. On yeah. research and the latest data, that, that is, is really helpful. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. 